Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Um, <laughs> You know, the, one of the cool things about being young, man, is that, is that there is no limits, right? There are no boundaries. Like, you dream big, and you don't really care about reality, because that's, that's part of being a, a, a kid, is that you get to imagine and be things that, that, that you could probably never be, right? You, you get to think about all the things that you could be when you're growing up. Like, you think about being that police officer, that teacher, or firefighter, or nurse, or doctor, or pilot, or scientist, or that ballerina, or that pro athlete, or maybe even a rock star. But one of the things that was on my list when I was growing up was a ninja. <laughs> I wanted to be a ninja, maybe not as my full-time gig, but as like my side hustle. I wanted to be a, a ninja on the side, you know? I mean, uh, I know some of you are thinking, now Ben, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, I think it's awful hard to be a six foot two, 260-pound ninja. All right. And, and I just say back to you, can't you let a boy dream? <laughs> but just about every Halloween, that's what I would dress up as. And back in my day, man, ninjas were all the rage. I mean, ninja movies and, and, and ninja cartoons, they seemed to defy gravity and, and use throwing stars and nunchucks and, and swords with almost magical deafness. And they pretty much acted like superheroes. Everything a little boy could love. But what exactly is a ninja? Well, a ninja comes to us from Japan's warrior history. The word itself basically means one who is trained in the art of stealth warfare. That's basically what the word ninja basically means. One who is trained in the art of stealth warfare. They were trained in covert methods of irregular warfare. And as I opened up our text today, 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 2, 7, I couldn't help but think that in a way God is calling us to be ninjas. You see, in the text, God's calling us to wage the good warfare. You're going to see that there in just a moment. But in doing so, he doesn't call us to take up tanks or bombs or guns. He calls us to take up prayer. Prayer. And that, my friends, is the art of stealth warfare. You see, God tells us in Ephesians 6, 12, and 13 that prayer is warfare. Oftentimes we think that prayer is the last resort, the thing that well, when nothing else works, oh, oh, I guess we'll pray now. No, no, prayer is active warfare. We read this in Ephesians 6, 12, and 13. For we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then he goes through that list that we well know there from Ephesians 6, but he ends the list with this here in verse 18. Praying at all times, in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is warfare, as he lists this out. 
This is how we engage these principalities and powers and authorities. That's how we engage the dark forces of Satan. But this prayer is not typically done in public. It's done privately, right? It's covert, irregular warfare, just as Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Here's what Jesus says. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So yeah, we're fighting a battle, but we fight it in the secret. There's a phase of the battle that's done secretly. Behind closed doors, we're waging the good warfare with prayers and petitions and and supplications and intercessions and thanksgivings to God. So beloved, we're basically called to be a prayer ninja. And so that's the title of this morning's message, Prayer Ninjas. We're going to continue in our series this morning, Diagnosis Healthy Church, where we're learning principles of church health here, all right, from the book of 1 Timothy. So I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. And as I read, I hope that you'll see in here Sort of the creative connection that I just made for us, for our lives. Look here is what God's word says to us. Beginning in the 18th verse. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of the faith, or of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Thus ends the reading of the word of God this morning. Let's pray and ask God to help us. And so, God, we come to you this morning knowing, God, that your word is living and active. And so we ask, God, that you would open our eyes to the truth of it, God, that you would help me to explain it. But then, God, help us to take what we've learned and heard and seen and then go live it out, God. Your word is meant to be lived. And so I just pray over this congregation this morning that we would be what you've called us to be and to do what you've called us to do here in this text. Father, we pray that you would help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, well, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat there. Go ahead and grab your seat. So here's today's truth. Here's today's principle from the text for being a healthy church, right? And here's what it is. A healthy church wages the good warfare of prayer. A healthy church 
wages the good warfare of prayer. Prayer is an integral part of the function of the church. Now, just a few decades back, you'll, you'll remember this well because it was very popular. Rick Warren wrote a book that just took the, 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 the church world by storm. It was called The Purpose Driven Church. And it was so good. It was, it was so helpful in so many ways. It just made perfect sense. And the church is going, why didn't we see that? You know, it's like, where has this been? Well, the point of the book is that God has given the church five purposes, according to Warren, who sees it in the word of God. They are worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and mission. And again, guys, it was a great book, helped a lot of churches, but it was missing one thing. And that purpose that was missing is the purpose of prayer. You need to understand this morning that prayer is of utmost importance. In fact, it's no exaggeration for me to say to you this morning that a prayerless church is a powerless church. It would be the same as if we were to go in the back, uh, the master breaker for the electricity coming into the building here and just shut it down. A prayerless church is a powerless church. A prayerless church, guys, is, a, is, is, a, is as healthy of a church as a marriage when the bride and the groom never talk. Now, if I say that, if the bride and groom never talked, would that be a healthy marriage? No way, right? And so the same way, guys, the church that never prays to her God is a very unhealthy church. A prayerless church is a church that, that has no burden and no power to win people for Christ. It's a church that's dry, that's relying on the flesh for ministry and doing only what humans can accomplish. It's a church where there's like a little joy. Little no outpourings of the Holy Spirit. No movements of God, probably. It's a church that's likely doing whatever is right in their eyes. Or we should say whatever's right in the world's eyes. Instead of doing what's right in God's eyes. So, beloved, a healthy church is a praying church. You need to understand this morning, how do we do that here at Eastwood? We kind of do it in three phases. One, we do it when we gather together right here. We should say four phases, I guess I should say. We do it when we gather together right here on Sunday morning, right? You'll notice that a, that a, that a portion of our service is always dedicated to prayer. Sometimes more than others, but always we take time as a congregation to pray and to intercede for people in this community and for what God is doing, asking God to move in this place. But also we do it on Wednesday night. We go a little bit deeper on Wednesday nights. For those of you who, um, who, who aren't familiar with our Wednesday nights, we come together and the children are doing their thing and the youth are doing their thing, but we spend time uh, uh, opening up the scripture and teaching. And then the last 10 to 15 minutes uh, is, is my, it's always my goal. Now, you know how preachers are. Sometimes they talk a little more than they meant to, okay? But my goal is to end that gathering on Wednesday nights praying for four things. On the first Wednesday of the month, we pray for our church. On the second Wednesday of the month, we pray for our community. On the third Wednesday of the month, we pray for our state and nation. And the fourth Wednesday of the month, we pray for our world. And typically we focus on an unreached 
people group. So that's one of the ways that we do it. We do it here on Sunday. We do it on Wednesday in a little deeper fashion. But I mentioned earlier small groups. Guys, small groups is where really, when you think about Sunday morning and you think about well, Wednesday night, these are sort of the big, you know, um, 6,000 feet high, 30,000 feet high, whatever prayers, right? They're the big picture prayers, kingdom of God prayers. But in your small group, that's where you drill down a little further, right? And you get down to right on street level and you begin to pray for one another. You begin to pray for what's happened in your life and those who are sick and those who need Jesus by name. I'm so thankful for the small group leaders who send out an email every week for prayer requests. And oftentimes they're, they're sent out with people by name to pray for for their group that they might come to know Jesus. But then the fourth phase is the people of God independently, day in and day out, praying to God and asking God to move Eastwood is a praying church. And you need to understand this morning that a healthy church wages the good warfare of prayer. A healthy church wages the good warfare of prayer. And our text today gives us sort of three areas to focus in on. Three areas to pray for as we wage uh, the good warfare. First, as we wage the good warfare of prayer, we, we need to pray for strength to withstand and confront the lies of false teachers. Right? I mean, most of this chapter here in 1 Timothy, we've already seen it, has been focused on Paul's urging Timothy to confront these false teachers. Look at verse 3 and 4. He tells Timothy there, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And after helping Timothy understand why that's so important to confront those folks, he comes back around in our text this morning to reiterate, Timothy, don't forget what I said, confront them. Look at verse 18 and 19. This charge, the charge to confront these false teachers, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Maybe Timothy was a lot like some of us in this room right now. We all have different constitutions. We all have different personalities. We all have things that come easy to us and things that do not. And so Timothy may be like a lot of us here in this room who struggle with confrontation. That is not something that you enjoy. Now, there are others of you here who, not in a negative way, but, but you don't mind it, right? You'll, you'll step right in. Maybe you're a bit timid. You find it hard at times to step into conflict, to step into a battle. It seems that m maybe Timothy was that way. Perhaps he wasn't as strong in this area as he needed to be in this situation. And so Paul reminds him, notice what he reminds him in the text, that God had clearly spoken through prophecies to other people. That, that Timothy was to be set aside for and called to the ministry. Now think about that for just a moment. Right, where, right there where you are, if you're this person who is timid, this person who struggles to step in and address conflict or, or difficulties in life, praise God that God doesn't just call the strong. He makes the called strong. Amen? Listen, that's you. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know how hard it is, but I know this. 
that God has every resource that you need in the world to step into that thing that's right there setting before you that you are waffling on. You see, Timothy was kind of waffling. Now, what he was calling Timothy to do is no easy task. He's asking him to confront false teachers. He's, he's charging him to face the wolves in the midst of the sheep right here. These were people who, who were likely had a following there in the church of Ephesus. They may have been well-liked. It may have been thought that they were very well-grounded in the Word of God. But their teaching was dangerous. And, and to demonstrate this, Paul gets very personal. He calls out two false teachers by name. First Timothy 19 and 20, look at that. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, both of these men, they're, they're actually later mentioned in 2 Timothy. And so it didn't go away. They were still there. Again, it seems that Paul is either reminding them of what happened or, or what needs to happen in 2 Timothy. But we're not sure exactly what Alexander taught. But Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 14 and 15, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him, for he strongly opposed our message. So it sounds like Alexander posed as a Christian. He claimed to be a Christian, but he opposed the apostolic teaching of Paul. He opposed the gospel of Jesus Christ right there in that church. So we're not really sure exactly what it is. We just know that he was an opponent of, of Christ. But we do know exactly the lie, or at least one of the lies, that Hymenaeus was teaching. We see this in 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 18, or 16 through 18. Paul says, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. So in other words, Hymenaeus was teaching that there is no future resurrection for Christians. Anybody here see that that's an issue, right? Oh my goodness, right? That's major. He's saying that the resurrection has already happened. Don't look for anything further to happen with the resurrection. He, he probably, which, guys, this, this heresy right here is not, um, it, it's still around. Most likely, here's what he's doing. He's probably confusing, Hymenaeus is, he's probably confusing the regeneration or the rebirth of the person when they come to Christ with the future bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, all right? I, I, I've been around teachers. I, I know teachers, again, not in Southern Baptist circles, but I know some who would say that the resurrection was the second coming of Jesus or, or the, the, the Holy Spirit falling and the Holy Spirit indwelling you. That, that is the only resurrection you'll ever see, they would say. And we know that that's heresy. We know that that is false truth, that there is a future bodily resurrection that we are waiting for. And so Paul here says, this dude is heretical. 
and, 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 and in doing so, right, that they basically prove that they're not saved, that they're headed for hell. That's why Paul says in the text here that they have made a shipwreck of their faith. They looked saved, but they were lost. Therefore, Paul wanted them put out of the church. We're into the language that he uses here in the text, and he uses this elsewhere, that he's handed them over to Satan. In other words, it's like they, you take them to the front door of the church and they say, Satan, they're not ours, they're yours. That's kind of what they're saying there. They've put them out of the church or that Timothy should put them out of the church. And we've already talked about this, guys. That is the loving thing to do, right? He says that it's gangrene. If you don't get rid of gangrene, it'll kill you, okay? It'll kill you. And so that's what Paul is calling them to do here. But again, it seems like Timothy, he's waffling a bit on following through. So what did Timothy need? He needed prayer. He needed prayer in a big way. He needed to pray to God that God would give him the boldness and the strength to do what needed to be done. And again, right now, you may be in a very similar situation. Maybe you're not, obviously, you're not a pastor who's trying to engage uh, doctrinal lies in a church. But I guarantee you there are things right now in your life that need to be done. You know they're the right thing to do. They're the best thing for you to do. But you're waffling because you're afraid. You're scared. And guys, here's what God's word says here. You need to pray. You need to pray to ask God to give you the courage and the strength and the boldness to move forward. My life, guys... I can testify to this because in my constitution, I've said this before, in my constitution, I am a fearful person. It's just what I deal with, right? It's just sort of who I am as far as that goes. If there's one weakness, and I have many weaknesses, that's one of them. But I can't tell you how many times I've sat in that tough meeting or boarded that plane or whatever it may be. And prayed the whole time, God, give me strength. God, give me strength. God, I trust you. I've even had to say, guys, i got to step up for a minute and go to the bathroom. And literally go to the bathroom and get on my knees and pray for God to give me strength. And I want you to know, he did. And he does. And I promise you, whatever you're facing, if you will pray to God and ask him to give you the strength and the boldness and the courage. He will supply it. Don't be afraid to go to God in prayer. Go to God. He's got every resource that you need. But we as a church, we need to pray. Right? We need the strength to do what God needs us to do. And sometimes that's hard. And we're going to see coming in in the next few months. And in the next year, God, there's going to be changes that are going to come. It's going to happen. And those things, guys, we need to go to God and ask him, especially, guys, when it comes to withstanding, confronting the lies of false teachers. Now, they don't even have to be in the church. Today, now more than ever, right? They're, 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 they're in pop culture. They're outside of the church, trying to push into the church. People have more access to false teachers than they ever had in their lives. Today, especially today, guys, it's this cancel culture that's just itching to devour people who won't toe the line of the progressive agenda. It takes courage to stand. 
You guys might remember the article back in the summer of that soccer player in the National Women's Soccer League. It's obviously, as you know, just over the past several months, it's been, um, it's been really popular. It's been a movement to kneel for the national anthem. And this girl, um, grown woman, um, could not bring herself to kneel for the national anthem because of what the national anthem meant to her. But guess what? She paid for it. I mean, the cancel culture devoured her. She had to defend herself for standing for the national anthem. Now, I use that illustration not to tell you, man, stand for the national anthem. I tell you that illustration to say that if they'll come after a person for that, you better believe that when you say that this is sin and this is righteousness, you better believe that they will eat you up and try to cause you, use everything they can throw at you to get you to compromise. Everything they can. So just know, guys, we've got to pray for strength to withstand and confront the lies of false teachers inside and outside of the church. Now this morning, we're actually going to spend some time in prayer. Uh, it, <laughs> preaching a message on prayer and not praying specifically for the things that we're talking about here is kind of like singing uh, stand up, stand up for Jesus sitting down, right? <laughs> Just don't do that, okay? So today, guys, here's what we want to do. As we work our way through, we're going to pray specifically for these prayer points. And I just want to have a moment of silence. I want to call the people of God right now. Here's what we're praying for. We're going to pray for strength to withstand and confront the lies of false teachers inside the church and outside the church. So I'm going to turn y'all loose to do it here, just, just right where you are. And then I'll close us in prayer on this point and we'll move forward. Deal? All right. Go and pray right now, right where you are. Pray for boldness. Pray that we will stand. Pray that we will confront lies of false teachers inside and outside the church. Father, we are called to be a praying people. And so right now, God, we ask you that you would give us strength. That's what we want, strength, because the pressure is great, not so much inside the church, but outside the church right now for us to compromise and to move away from biblical teaching, to imbibe false teaching that does not accord with your scripture. To drink it down, to eat it up, God. And so, God, I pray right now that you would give us the courage and the boldness to stand apart and to distance ourselves from those lies. God, anything that is not true. Father, we pray that you would be true in every man a liar. And so, God, I pray right now for this people here. And God, you know where people are already compromising in their thoughts. And it very well, could be, it very well could be, God, that there are people who are already compromising in their lives. 
But we pray that right now would be the moment that we step back and we draw that line in the sand and say, I will go nowhere that a false teacher leads me. So, Father, we stand and ask for your movement in our lives, for your strength today to withstand and to confront the lies of false teachers, particularly outside of the church. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Secondly, this morning, guys, as we wage the good warfare prayer, we're to pray for government leaders to let us peacefully and to freely worship God. Now, I just wonder this morning, do you, do you struggle with that? Do you struggle to pray for people that you didn't vote for? Whether it's President Trump or President Biden or Governor Bevin or Governor Bashir or Mayor Wilkerson or Mayor Alcott or Judge Executive Mike Buchanan, do you find it hard to pray for the one that you didn't vote for? Now, Christian, look what God is calling us here. God is unequivocal here. He is unequivocal here. You are called by God to pray for them. Now, notice he didn't say agree with them, but he's called you to pray for them. Look at verse 1 and 2, 1 Timothy 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We're to pray for all people. But we're especially, it says here, to pray for these men and women who are in high positions of government authority. And why is that? Well, that's because they have the power to directly affect our lives for the good or for the bad. We are under their authority. They have the power to kill peace. They have the ability and the power to stir up strife. They have the ability to make our lives easier or to make our lives harder. If you're going along in our Old Testament reading that I'm leading on our Facebook Bible reading plan, we just read where Pharaoh made the lives, this is the king of Egypt, right? He made the lives harder for the Israelites. First, he says, every newborn boy that a Hebrew mother births, midwife, you're to kill it. Praise God they didn't follow that. The midwives didn't follow that. But he was trying to make the lives harder for the Israelites. Later on, we read that he said, all right, you guys want to go worship your God in the wilderness for a while? Here's the deal. We were providing you straw to make the bricks that we called you to make. We're no longer going to provide straw for you. We're going to take that away. You have to gather the straw and you have to give us the same amount of bricks that you were doing before. Right? He made their lives hard. And listen, we could go through history upon history. Right? We, we could right now, we could easily tally up like a thousand illustrations from history. With little to no effort, illustrating how government leaders, whether they're kings or presidents, can make life easier or harder for their people, okay? So Paul says we've got to pray for them. It's interesting, though, here what specifically Paul says that we're to pray for. 
He says that we're to pray for these government leaders so that we might live this peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So first, when I hear that, I hear that we are to pray that government would uphold godly and dignified standards. That's what I hear first, right? If it's going to be peaceful, if it's going to be godly, if it's going to be dignified, if it's going to be quiet, then they're going to uphold what is good. And you know what? Romans chapter 13 tells us that's exactly what the government is supposed to do. Romans 13, 1 through 4 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have instituted by God, or have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Here it is. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. So the government here, obviously, is saying that we should, we should obey our leaders and things like that. But he says here, along with that, that the government's job is to uphold what is good. And we know, again, in history where God has taken out those who were not good leaders. Their job is to uphold what is good. And so we need to pray, guys, that they do that. And I know right now there's a lot of concern of what we're seeing through executive orders and the undoing of laws that we believe are good and support a biblical worldview, views on a life in the womb, views on gender, Things of that nature that we see being pushed and being destroyed. So guys, there's a lot of concern, but we need to pray for our leaders that there is indeed a good agenda that they're bringing forward. But secondly, when I hear what Paul is instructing here in 1 Timothy 2, I hear him also praying that we should pray or, or teaching that we should pray that government should essentially leave us alone to worship and live for God as we see fit. That's what we need to pray for. We need to pray that we would be free to worship God as he has called us to do it, right? The government should not try to tamp down Christian worship. And many have over the years, right? You go back to history like Rome, in the early days of the church, where many, many, many Christians were put to death for worshiping God. And right now around the world, many, many people like the nation of China, where people are being imprisoned and killed. Or like North Korea, where even having a page of the Bible incurs the death penalty. Right? So there are all sorts of examples, guys, that we could point to where the government tries to, to just tamp down Christian worship, to eradicate Christian worship. But with the spirit of the pilgrims, guys, who came to this land in 1620, they left England and then Holland to come to a land where they were free to worship God as they saw fit and to live for God as he commands. And guys, that same spirit, as you well know, enshrined in the Bill of Rights, that same spirit goes forth today, guys. So we need to pray that our government leaders would uphold the freedom of religion, both the gathering of worship inside our walls and the free exercise of religion outside of our walls. Now that's important to add both of those. 
Because oftentimes the government will say, whatever you want to do inside the walls of your church, go for it. But it's when you get out in the street, that's where we'll cut you off. I've got a friend in Canada. You know, Canada does not have the protections that we have. Church planner that I work with there, uh, I lead mission teams up to, to help him in his church planning efforts. He, he, he's, he's told me before, he said, the things that you say in your sermons and the things that you say uh, on Facebook, I cannot say it here in Canada. Canada. So you know that just above us, right, <laughs> around the world, it's much, much worse. But guys, listen, it's, we, we don't take this for granted in America. So we need to pray for our government leaders that they would uphold what is good and that they would allow us to be free to worship God as God commands all right, here we go. We're going to pray again. This is not just to sit there in silence. This is a pray to God in your heart and in your mind. All right, you ready? We're going to pray that God would help us to do the two things we said, that our government would, would be good and that it would let us be free to worship him. Let's pray right now. Father, we ask this morning that you would stay the hand of any wickedness that is coming down the pike. God, we ask, we want to pray specifically right now for President Biden and Vice President Harris. God, we ask that you would touch their hearts, that they would desire to bring forth and encourage legislation that honors you. And Father, we as the people of God would pray, that we would be faithful to pray. We pray for Governor Bashir. We pray for Mayor Alcott and Judge Executive um, Buchanan. Lord, as we think about all of those fears, we want good leaders who uphold good things. And we pray, God, that you would stay their hand, any oppression that they want to bring, God, that we might be able to live freely and worship freely as Christians in this land. Father, we see things coming down the pike with the Equality Act that's coming where it will almost seem to be illegal to call certain lifestyles sinful. And so, Father, we pray against those things. God, we need to be able to be free to worship and to exercise our faith as we see fit as you've commanded us, God. And so we just pray for our government leaders right now, Lord. Be with them. Bless them, God. And where they, where they tend to go astray, God, would you bring them back? Father, you've, you've used people like Nebuchadnezzar to bring about good things. And so I pray that you would do that even here in the United States and in Kentucky and even in Bowling Green, Warren County. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. The final thing this morning, if we're going to wage the good warfare of prayer, then finally here in the text that we need to pray for lost people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, all right? Paul closes out this section by saying in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 7, notice what he says. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So guys, we need to pray for lost people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so first, guys, just piggybacking on what we just said, we need to pray, guys, that that, that we will be free to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we will be free to call sin, sin, and to call sinners to Christ, just like we have been. That's what we need to pray for, first and foremost, that we are free to preach the gospel. Now, here's the truth of the matter. As we saw last week, as we talked about last week, sometimes we don't exercise our freedom as we ought to, okay? So don't just pray that we would be free to, but pray that you would actually do what you're free to do. But then secondly, guys, we need to pray that people will receive the gospel. Guys, that's God's heart. God's will, if if you want to get technical in theology here, right, this is God's will of disposition. This is his heart. He desires that none would perish. He desires for all to be saved. And if that's God's heart, then that should be our heart as well. And if that's our heart, then we need to be people of prayer, praying for lost people. J. Sidlow Baxter, he once said this. He said, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, and oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. I love that. They may hate you and totally reject what you're saying, but they are helpless against our prayers. So how should we pray? Tim Challies, a pastor and author, he wrote a really helpful article here. And I just want to give you, if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, just some detailed ways to specifically pray for lost people this morning. I want to give these to you. There are 10 of them here. I'll give them quickly. And if you don't get them all down, you can email me and I'll put them out. All right? But here they are. Pray that God removes Satan's blinding influence. Two. Pray that God would circumcise their hearts. You're praying for lost people here. Pray that God would give them a heart of flesh. Four, pray that God would put his spirit within them. Five, pray that God would use any circumstance to do his work in them. Six, pray that God would extend his mercy to them. Seven, pray that God would grant them repentance. Eight, Pray that God would free them from the slavery of sin. Nine, pray that they would come to Christ. And ten, pray that God would open their hearts to believe the gospel. Guys, that's what we need to pray. If you'll pray those ten things for those who are lost around you, you are praying well for lost people. You are engaging in the good warfare of prayer that lost people would come to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Even right now, there are people in this room that we've been praying for who have not yet come to Jesus. We pray again this morning that today would be the day you would turn and trust in Jesus. I'm going to turn you loose here to pray and it'll wrap up, all right? Go ahead and pray. Pray for lost people, those that you know 
who are lost and need Christ. Pray for them right now. Pray for them by name. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.